God. What a thought that um, you're stronger than our hearts. There's a there's a drift in my heart. Pulls me towards lesser things, lesser saviors, lesser gods, lesser pleasures. There's a drift in my heart towards doubt and fear and questioning whether you love me and whether you can keep me to the end. And there's a drift, Lord, in, in my heart. It moves towards pride and arrogance and lifting myself up and moves me away from you. But you are stronger. You're stronger than the sin in me. You're stronger than the grave. You're stronger than the enemy of our souls. You've risen victorious, God, and we are here to uh, remember that again and praise you afresh for it. So, Lord, I I pray that you would meet us uh, this morning as you've always been faithful to do. Thank you for inviting us into your victory. It's in your name we gather, and in your name we pray. Amen. Let's see, I got all sorts of stuff up here. You can tell it's kind of, we got some interesting things going on right now at our church. Uh, I'm going through Covenant Membership Series. Um, so this is not going to be your typical Sunday, right? Or I guess it's going to be about six weeks. We've done one week now. This is now week two. Um, with that in mind, I, I actually need to make sure that you guys have a notebook. So hold on a moment with me. If you received the notebook last week and you forgot to bring it back, well, then I'm sorry. You're, you're out of luck. Uh, you can just keep the, the packet that I handed you and, and stuff that bad boy back into your notebook when you get home. If you were not here last week, you did not receive a notebook, please raise your hand and we'll get one to you right away, including if you're a visitor or, uh, you know, we want to get one to you. It's our gift to you. Anybody? Yeah? You want one? Okay. I want to make sure that everybody has one. And then the second thing I need to make sure, um, I want to make sure everybody got session two, that, that handout there. Some people, I think, maybe were just given the appendix, which that's not, you know, you don't want the appendix. That's not. Anybody else need session two? Sorry if this is classroom-like, guys. That's not the intent at all. But I do want you to have the material so that you can read through it. Everybody else good? Okay. Uh, we'll have some on the back there, and they'll be up online and things like that later. Um, now, I wanted to, to do another giveaway for you real quick. Uh, it is actually the same book I gave away last week. Uh, I, I went a little bit crazy with it, gave away four people, so maybe the four people that actually read in our church already have the book, and, and we won't be giving it away anymore. But uh, each week of this series, I, I wanted actually to give away uh, different books. Um, and since we're still dealing with the subject of just introducing church membership, um, this is going to be the simplest, easiest kind of entry into that. And so if you thought you might read it, um, you know, Steve up there in Tahoe, kicking next to the lake, if you wanted to read a little book, whatever. Um, anybody at all? Raise hand. Free book here. Come on. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Just trying to spread the propaganda. <laughs> I want you to know that what your pastor is doing is not out in left field, okay? That uh, I'm just kind of following a well, well-worn well path from wise guys that have gone before us in, in looking to establish covenant membership here. Um, so, with that, um, the only other thing I will do, recognizing that it's a little bit weird to do this on a Sunday morning... Um, but I, I wanted to kind of 
get all of us on the same page at once and with this idea of covenant membership. Um, I, I want to at least just direct your attention to the front page of the notebook. I'll do this every week where I just simply express my heart for the various kinds of people that could be in this room. Because uh, I realize that some of you are actually already a member under the previous pastor's uh uh, regime or his his authority, you guys became members. I love it. I'm grateful for it. And I, I wrote something there for you. Some of you might not be ready to be a member, um, and I don't want you to feel this weird pressure. Others of you are just visiting, uh, and I, I want you to know that this is not the typical diet of our church. You can find uh, what what you'll usually receive on a Sunday morning online. Uh, I've been preaching through the Book of Luke and other things, and then some of you might not even be believers. And you're sitting here going, what is this? This is like, he's handing out notes like I'm in like college or something here. Well, I, I just pray that as we discuss, um, uh, you know, what membership looks like in a church and what it looks like in this church, I pray, I pray that you see something beautiful in it, something that perhaps even you were created for. Um, all right, let's get in. Each week, uh, though I'm not going to be preaching specifically through a text, there is a key text that I want to read at the beginning, and uh, and, I, and I'll pray, and I'll get us in. So the text for this morning um, that kind of sets the tone for where we're going, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this text actually at the very end of this message, is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. If you need a Bible... Uh, another giveaway for you. We're giving Bibles away here. The cup of blessing that we bless. Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper here. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's pray. God, we know what happened to you on the cross. I mean, even if we're not Christians, we probably heard about it. We know that Jesus was brutally killed, crucified, torn apart, broken open. We know it was a horrifying affair. What we don't often realize, God, is, is that because of what you did there, because you were torn apart for us, because um, your body was broken for us, there's now this union that we have with one another. There's now this, this union that you're developing in your body, your people, the church. That we are a people united around the cross of our Savior. So I pray, Jesus, that you would use this morning, you would use uh, the words coming out of my mouth from your scriptures. and God, I pray you would use this to open our eyes to the wonder, the mystery That is the church, the covenant community of God. I pray, Father, for your sheep. I pray that they would hear your voice. I pray that even as we discuss certain things that might be hard or might sound a little off-putting, I pray, Jesus, they hear your voice, the voice of the good shepherd, calling to them through it, caring for them in it. I pray you'd bring great encouragement and bring even greater unity 
into this body so that we might see you more clearly, present you more clearly to the world, bring you more honor, more glory. We want the Christ of the cross to be lifted up in our midst and in our community. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, we are in um, session two now. And it's the second part of what I've titled uh, an introduction to church membership. Next week, we'll, we'll get into session three and an introduction to Mercy Hill Church in particular. And then we'll move from there to, to focus in on our faith, our community, and our mission. In all of our discussion last week, we, we still didn't really answer the question. I don't know if you caught that. I didn't really answer the question, what is church membership? What is it? Um, so that is, in fact, the, the question that I want to try to answer in earnest here today. Particularly, what is church membership in a local church? The way I'm going to go about trying to present this answer to you is by bringing out what I call uh, the five aspects of church membership. And I, I think I put a graphic there for you to hopefully make it uh, memorable and you kind of see where we're going. But five aspects of church membership. We're going to spend a lot of our time on the first, and then we're going to kind of work down from there, and I'll probably be speeding through by the fifth one, because um, I have some things at the end that I want, want to cover. But the first aspect I want to bring your attention to is this. Church membership is affirmation from the elders. <laughs> now, now, hold on with me, Okay. Uh, as I was talking with Megan about this, as I was preparing, I realized that this first point is actually the toughest point I have to bring. Um, there's some heavy thoughts that are going to be coming our way at this point, and, and I just want you to hang with me, okay? Uh, we at this church, we, we want to bow, right, before the full counsel of God. We're not just picking and choosing kind of what uh, pleases our modern sensibilities. We say, God... It's your word, we're your people, how you want us to act, how you want us to do church, let's do it that way. We trust that your way, not ours, is going to lead to the abundant life, the abundant joy that you've designed us for. So, with that being said, I'm just going to beg you, stick with me through some things that might seem a little uncomfortable at first, especially um, for us here in America, Silicon Valley. Church membership is affirmation from the elders. I'm going to start with the process here, and then I'm going to move back towards the theology that, that, that kind of sits behind it. All right? The process. So let me show you what I think, or what I'm after here when I'm saying that church membership is, is affirmation from the elders. If an individual, if God brings a person here, maybe you, I don't know, Maybe someone else comes in and, and, and starts to kind of be like, you know what, I want to join with this body in this church. I want, I want, I want a covenant with these people. I want to be a member. Well, what will happen is, after kind of going through some of this process, they, they would land themselves kind of across the table from an elder or two for essentially an interview. The, the purpose of this interview would be threefold. Okay? The first, and this is important. It's not just us interviewing you here. It's actually the, the prospective member would, would want to be able to ask us questions. So uh, the first thing would be, hey, we want, we want you to get to know us. Make sure that this is the right local church for you. It's a chance for you to kind of say, you know, where are you at on this issue or, or where are you at on, on that uh, issue? And make sure that this is a good fit and you feel comfortable with the leaders of the church. It's also a chance for the elders to, to get to know you, in particularly, in particular, to, to get to know kind of your testimony, your story, you know, whether you know the gospel and, and, and why you think you're a Christian. Uh, just get to know who you are and your relationship with Christ. And then the third real purpose that would arise from this is, hopefully, you kind of begin the process of, of being knit together in love, as, as we kind of come together around a table and, and get to know one another, um, hopefully God would already begin kind of interweaving our stories um, as you kind of come into this fellowship, this church. Now, I say church membership is affirmation from the elders. 
uh, in particular here because I think that's really where the process of affirmation begins. Um, elders are commissioned by the Holy Spirit. Through the church, we read in Acts 20, right? Commissioned by the Holy Spirit through the church to care and oversee the the flock of God, to shepherd his people. Well, one of the uh, most important things we can do in caring for the flock, probably, right, is to... uh, is to watch over who's coming in, who's adding themselves to this fellowship. In other words, a good pastor, a good shepherd is going to say, are we dealing, are we dealing with a goat? Are we dealing? I mean, if you read 20, Paul is saying, listen, elders, I'm going to leave and there are wolves that are coming and you've got to watch over the flock because they're going to, they're going to rise up in your midst and they're going to try to devour. And so there's this call to shepherds, call to elders to lead the way in, 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 um, this sort of affirmation process and inviting people into the fellowship and caring for the flock in this way. But, but, The process of affirmation doesn't stop with the elders. If you're feeling uncomfortable, hold on, hang with me. It actually culminates in the the affirmation, really, of the church at large. Um, The whole church. So assuming things kind of progress for the prospective covenant member... um, Here's how I envision it going down. Essentially, the elders would would uh, would give a recommendation to the current membership. Hey, we met with this person. We had a meal with this person. Whatever. We feel we feel so stoked uh, that they would want to join. Uh, here's here's their name. If you have any concerns about them that we might not be aware of, uh, some something that you think means that we, I don't know if they're even a Christian or something. F- fine, bring that to our attention. And, and we will, we will, uh, address it. Um, but otherwise, we will be welcoming this, the, these people into our covenant community. We will be affirming them, not just as elders, but as the whole church. Now, hit pause on your remote for a moment with me. Okay. If you are looking at this, and I imagine, especially some of the more introverted among us are like, wait a minute. This sounds like, this sounds horrifying. <laughs> like your your hands are, are are sweating and your your heart's starting to race and your blood pressure's rising. You start to take your blood pressure medication because pastor's talking about the church getting up in my business. Pastor's talking about an interview like this. like what is going on here now? <clears throat> let me clarify a few things for you. We are not talking about that stuff that goes down on like the cop shows that you watch, uh, you know, with your spouse in the evening before bed, where, where you got like these criminal investigations going on and, and we got like this warrant and we're breaking down the door, we're getting into your house and we're going through all your stuff, you know, with a magnifying glass and we got the clipboard. Nobody likes the clipboard. You know, like, oh, did you hear that that, that lady watches Oprah? Ooh, I have to mark that down. <laughs> Or that, did you hear that, that guy, you know, whatever. You want to know what we're talking about? Just simply concerned to, 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 to conclude, to confirm, is this person a Christian? Do they, do they know Jesus? Do they, do they need the cross? Do they know what the gospel is? Are they, are they, do they, of course they're not perfect, but do they, do they want to grow? Are they, are they moving towards him or, 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 or not? That's all we're looking for, you guys. That's all we're dealing with. If I could make it even more clear, we are not talking about, uh, does this person understand the full index of biblical theology? I'm not going like, to pull out and say, tell me, what does Revelation 23.5 say? Oh, gotcha, there's actually not 23 chapters in Revelation. <laughs> it's not what we're going to do. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're just simple and say, does this person know the gospel. This person know the gospel. Do they need? Do they know they need a savior? Do they know what he's done for them? And guess what? If not, it's not like we just shut the door in your face and say, "I'm sorry, give." Let's explain it. Let's carry through with this. Let's care for you. Let's show you what it means. We are not talking about does this individual have any sin in their lives? 
I mean, we all have sin. If you were to go into my house with a magnifying glass, you would find plenty of evidence of my own sin. So that's not what we're talking about when we say membership. Are there any concerns? What we're talking about is, are there like blatantly clear and consistent and callous? That's the key word, callous. I don't care. I'm in sin and I don't care. Are those kind of sins in these people's lives that, that I, maybe we just missed? Or That's what we're looking for. That sort of stuff that says, wait a minute, a born-again person struggles with sin every day of their life, but they long to be free from it. They want to be different. They want to be closer to Christ. If you're not longing for that, if you're actually satisfied just where you're at, you know, sleeping with your girlfriend, whatever it is, that's a concern. That's a concern. We are not talking about has this person attained perfection? If that were the case, this room would be empty right now. There'd be no members in this church. It's not what we're talking about. You've heard that distinction perhaps. Not, not perfection, but direction. We're saying, by grace, is, is, is this person moving towards the Lord? Is he their Savior? Is he their Lord? We are simply wanting to confirm that this person has a credible profession of faith. That they seem to be Christians. They're banged up, sin-struggling, grace-embracing, slowly-growing Christians just like the rest of us. Just like the elders of this church. Just like me. I'm going to keep going because I know that this somebody's going to not like this idea, and I just want to continue to clarify. Jonathan Lehman, a book I just gave away, he writes pages, I think, like page 89 or so. He writes wonderfully on this subject. He says this, It's not a person's moral perfection that qualifies him or her for church membership. It's just the opposite. It's his or her recognition of a lack of moral perfection coupled with the hunger for it. It's not the people who never sin, it's the people who fight against sin. A church's judicial work is to affirm not the righteous, but the unrighteous who thirst for righteousness. The righteousness only God and Christ can give. Here's one more way to say it. What makes people acceptable to a church is not their own moral purity, but Christ's. Not what they have done to save themselves, but what God has done to save them. If I could put it even one more way, church membership is not a pride thing. It's not like we're on the in crowd and like you're on the out. That's not what this is about. In fact, it's it's exactly the opposite of that. Even though it might feel like that's what's going on, like, whoa, Nick's trying to like say who's on the in and who's on the That's not what's going on here. It's the opposite. You want to know the way you get in? You finally admit that you're out. Okay. Like, I'm out of options here. I'm out of righteousness. I'm out of riches. I'm out of strength. I'm out. I don't have anything. I'm poor in spirit. Well, guess what? If you come saying that, say, but I have Jesus. Can I be a member? Absolutely. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. That's, I think, where Christianity begins. That's why the first beatitude starts with blessed are, or the beatitudes start with blessed are the poor in spirit. Christianity begins with I'm poor. Guess what? The kingdom is yours. Now, I said I'd get to the theology behind this process. I want to briefly look at some of this now. Although I deal with it a little more in the appendix I gave you, which is just kind of a rerun of something I gave the church earlier um, when I arrived about a year ago. Um, so some of you it might be new, some of you it might not. But I want to deal right now with the theology behind this process I, I just explained. Uh, what I have in mind here is what's been referred to as the church's power of the keys. You say, what is that? Are we now, now suddenly we're in like a Marvel movie. <laughs> The power of the keys. These keys are first mentioned by Jesus with reference to Peter. Upon uh, Peter's profession of faith in Christ, uh, he, Jesus comes to him and says, who do, who do you say that I am, right? And Peter goes, man, you are the Christ. 
And Jesus looks at him. And he says, blessed are you, because God's revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. But then he goes on and he says this. This is Matthew 16, 18 and 19. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is crazy stuff. This is kind of scary stuff. But hear me on this. Christ is giving Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the imagery is very helpful for us because what do keys do? They open and they lock. They unlock and they lock doors. They open doors for people to enter and they close doors and lock them for people to kind of be put out. That's what keys do. And that's why, as Jesus kind of fleshes out what it looks like to have these keys, he talks about this idea that Peter has authority to bind or loose. Or in other words, to use the language I'm talking about here, to affirm or reject uh, an individual's participation in Christ's kingdom and church. I mean, if you got the keys to the, to the, to the kingdom of heaven, you basically are, are, are having this authority by Jesus to say, okay, you can enter, and I'm not sure you can. There's this, there's this binding and loosing going on, this affirming and rejecting going on. An individual uh, might try to attach himself to the church, and some will be bound, affirmed as true believers, but others will be loosed, rejected as false professors. You might think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira here, with Peter, right there. I don't think you're the real deal. I mean, that's a scary uh, usage of the keys, but that's it. But here's the thing, guys. Amazingly, just two chapters later, we see, and this, this causes me to tremble, we see that, that Jesus doesn't just give this to Peter. He actually gives it to the church. He gives these keys to the church. Now, follow with me. This is Matthew 18, 17 and 18, and I'll skip down to verse 20 at the close. But speaking of an unrepentant sinner, Jesus instructs his disciples to do uh, this. He says, if this sinner refuses to listen to them, the two or three that were uh, talking to him about his sin. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. For, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We love that verse 20 and we use it for like worship and the idea of prayer meetings and stuff. It's actually in the context of the church exercising the authority of the keys given to them by Jesus. This concept of binding or loosing, this concept of bringing in uh, believers and, and, and casting out uh, what, what seem to be false professors. It's crazy stuff. And I wonder if you notice the same key wielding activity of binding and loosing is referred to, but only now. Now, you can't see this in the English, but in the Greek, the you there, the whatever you bind and whatever you loose, in the Greek, it's, it's, the, it's you, it's the plural form of the second person, you. Back with Peter, singular, you. Now, Matthew 18, plural, you. See, everything was going well. Nobody noticed the sound guy. <laughs> Sorry, Donald. Thank you. Thank you, for the, thank you for the 30 minutes of good stuff, man. Thank you. Um, now it's you, plural. You, the church. You, you and I. Now, have no doubt, these are Christ's keys. This is his authority. But the crazy thing is that he actually chooses to, to use the keys and, and exercise his authority through the church, through us. 
The church is to take an, a part in affirming true believers and rejecting uh, false professors. Now, if I could just be honest with you, I mean, I, even at this point, you could tell I spent so much time on this first point because I just, I just tremble at this. I really do. I, I, I so desperately don't want you to read, okay, this is, this is the pastor making his power play. This is where Mercy Hill kind of turns into this weird cult where everybody kind of turns on one another. That's not what's going on here, you guys. I tremble at this call. I'm not, I'm so afraid that I could manipulate this stuff and abuse it the way that, that the church has for, you know, years and even millennia. If you look at what the Catholic Church and others have done with some of these texts, it's scary. So I, I want you to know, I, I tremble before this and there's a large part of me that just says, Jesus, you take the keys, man. You take them. You drive. I don't want to let people in and out. I don't want to have the wheel. You do this thing. I'm going to screw it up. But I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of my Lord that says, hey, if this is what your word says, if this is what you're calling us to do, okay. If this is what you want me to be participating in, all right. Sounds crazy. Let's do it. I believe that he wants me to shepherd, that he wants me to care for the flock, that as an elder, I think he wants me to lead the way in this. But I, I, I do believe on the authority of his word that I think he wants his church, he wants all of us involved in this affirmation process. That church membership is affirmation from the elders in the church at large. Second aspect um, of church membership I wanted to bring out. Church membership is assurance for the individual. It's assurance for the individual. If you're wondering if we've got alliteration going on, we do. You're going to remember this. Church membership is assurance for the individual. Now, I imagine that um, many of you think what I just outlined sounds like a horrifying process. It sounds sounds horrifying. Maybe you are that um, that introvert and, and the fear of what people are thinking or the idea of even having your name somewhere uh, saying that you're a prospective member or something. It's just horrifying. Or, or maybe you've imbibed the, the, the spirit of American individualism and, and the idea is just, who in the world does this pastor, does this church think he is getting up in my business? I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian. Leave me alone. There are people like that. Maybe some people are like that because you're, you're, there's other people I'm thinking about and those are people that have been abused. People that have been abused by authority. For goodness sake, I know so many stories and they are horror stories of people that are just, churches come in and the leaders come in and they, they start embarrassing or publicly scolding or, or kicking out people that are just wounded forever because they've been abused by spiritual authority in their lives. And so this, this idea just sounds horrifying to you. I get it. I really, really do. That's why I'm so, that's why I said tremble at this. They don't want to be another one of those horror stories for you. But I'll tell you something. Wherever you may find yourself, whatever the case may be, this process is not designed to be horrifying. It's actually designed to be healing. I want you to think with me about this for a moment. The second point is where I'm going to spend probably the next biggest amount of my time. Because I wanted you to see, I'm not just trying to make your life miserable. I really care about you. <laughs> I want this church to be healthy. I want its members to feel strong. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. A person might feel safe doing their Christianity kind of on the fringes, right? Like, keep a distance. I'm doing my thing. I'm a Christian. Leave me alone. I don't, want, I don't have to engage in this process to be a Christian. You're right. I said last week, church membership, just it's just a formal way of encouraging everything that the scriptures already require of us. 
So you're right, you don't have to go through this process if you don't want, but I'll tell you something. You do need the church in your life. You do need elders caring for you, overseeing you, looking into your heart and helping you follow him. You do need that. I need that. Here's what I'm thinking about. You might feel safe on the fringes, but it's actually a a very dangerous place to be. Because the lone Christian is terribly prone to kind of the two sides of, of, of errors. Either self-deception on the one hand, or, or self-doubt on the other. Let me dive into that with you. Self-deception or self-doubt. But all you got is yourself. And so you're going in those directions. Now think with me. On the one hand, self-deception. You might be thinking that you're just fine. Like me and Jesus are tight. And we're good. And I, I don't need anybody else you know, telling me otherwise. But the fact of the matter might be that you're not fine. It might be that you're deceiving yourself. It might be that, that you don't actually know the gospel. You still got this works-based righteousness and you think you're fine because you think you're a good person, which actually shows how far away you are from the true gospel. Like, there are going to be these people that receive this haunting verdict on the last day. Matthew 7, 22 to 23, Jesus talks about it. I don't want any of those people to say, I was a member at Mercy Hill. This is what Jesus says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you hear that? Does that scare anybody? The self-deception can run so deep that doing all sorts of stuff in his name, and I never even knew you, he says. I don't want that in this church. I don't want that for you. If the devil can keep you thinking you're fine, doesn't the devil win? So I'll tell you something. An elder council, a church that wants to help you avoid that kind of self-deception, it's not a horrifying thing, even though it feels that way at first. And people have abused it. And I will guard with all my might to make sure we don't turn into one of those nitpicking whatever churches. It might feel like a horrifying thing, but it's actually a healing thing. When you do truly come to know Christ, when they do affirm your relationship with him, it's for your blessed assurance, guys. Like this church is saying on that day, I mean, we're as certain as we can be, at least, that that you're not going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. You're going to hear, well done, enter into the joy of your master. Like that's what, what, what. We think is waiting for you. And to have a church and leadership that, that are saying that about you is, is, is this wonderfully assuring thing for the member. At least it should be. On the other hand, consider with me self-doubt. So self-deception, the other thing that can happen with lone Christians, self-doubt. This might describe more of you. Um, you might be terribly prone to doubt your salvation. I certainly was in my first years as a Christian. Absolutely. I mean, it was horrifying. I was just constantly up all night looking through the scriptures going, am I saved? I don't know. You might be one of those people that have like a sensitive conscience and you feel so painfully condemned. And it's like you're, all, you're almost certain that if you were to actually kind of go through this church membership process when the elders looked in, when the elders sat across the table from you and just talked about your life, you're just sure they would see, oh, this person's a fraud, and they would, they would disown you and kick you out. There's this kind of self-doubt about your relationship with Jesus and, and, and your, your status as a Christian. And if the devil, if the accuser of the brethren can keep you there, does he not uh, 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 rob you of all the joy that could be yours on this side of heaven? Does he not rob you of the joy that the children of God know? Because they know the Father. They know his love. They have that assurance. Well, let me tell you something. When you finally gain the courage 
Imagine this. You're that self-doubting, scared, I'm sure they're going to reject me, turn me away kind of a person. Imagine if you do finally get the courage. Say, I want to join this church. And the elders sit across the table from you or whatever, and they, they go, man, I mean, you're the real deal. I see how much you love him. I mean, are you, are you kidding me? You're doubting right now. These are the kind of people that Jesus comes and embraces. People that feel like they're not worthy. The people that feel like they're on the outside. These are the people that Jesus comes and says, you're on the in, man. All those guys that think they're in or out, you're in. So imagine the elders in the church welcoming you in that way. It's going, wow, man, I got not just me in a, co- in a closet here going, am I a believer or not? I got this group of people that care about me and are saying, yes, you're walking with the Lord. I mean, does that not kind of bring healing to a heart that's prone to self-doubt? So an elder council that's in a church that that wants to help you avoid that kind of self-doubt is not a horrifying kind of thing. It's a healing thing. We're aiming to to bless you. It's assurance for the individual. Now, church membership, third. So church membership is affirmation from the elders. It is um, assurance for the individual. Now, third, it is accountability to the church. I'm going to have to start moving faster here. Church membership is accountability to the church. As members of this local expression of of Christ's universal church, we are to be more than just hospitable or charitable to one another. Though, honestly, even that is is, is an incredible miracle. (laughs) To have people that are hospitable and charitable is amazing. But there's something more we're called to, and that is we're called to be accountable to the church. What, what I mean by this is that we're to be honest with one another. Like we have open lives. We, we actually share what's on our hearts, who we really are, what we're really dealing with. It means, to give you an image, it means that not only is my front door open to you, you could come on in. It means that, that, that closet door that's like somewhere way off in the back with all the skeletons and the, and the cobwebs, that that's open too. It means that I'm not scared to let people in. That I actually know I need that. Now, let me... Uh, I had Megan read over this last night. She said, at this point, make sure people don't misunderstand. <laughs> I said, okay, alright. So let me, let me clarify what I mean by this. Because I'm not saying that we don't use wisdom in who we share you know, with and, and what we share and how. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying, hey, if you're not willing to post all your junk on Facebook, you know, then 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 you're not your your Christianity's in question. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when you come to Christ, you actually come into a family. We'll look at this more in a few minutes. And something strange happens. Like suddenly you actually like you find it you take the light in being in the light, in being open. Like there's this healing that happens. And suddenly you want people in there. Things that you always hid. You want people there. You know you need people there. You want to confess sin and you want accountability. The sorts of things start to happen in a believer. That's what I'm talking about. To come to Christ really is to come out of hiding. It's one way you could you could define becoming a Christian. It's to come out of hiding. It's to walk from the darkness into the light and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm a mess. But Jesus saves. He can help. And I need him. John, uh, or I'm sorry, Jesus says in John 3, 19 to 20. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So we want to stay in the dark and do evil stuff. That's where we want to be. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, he says, and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But to become a Christian is to say, I'm stepping out. I'm so sick of hiding. I'm so sick of the darkness. I'm sick of just kind of festering in this damp, dark place. I want the light. Not because I think I'm ready and look at me, I'm in the spotlight. No, but because I want, I want the one who radiates the light. 
He can heal me. And so we're not afraid, we're not ashamed to come into the light of the cross. And it's this amazing thing where as we step out of the light, we don't find condemnation from God. We find salvation. We find acceptance. We find love. And then even more amazing, and this is where accountability to the church comes in view, even more amazing as we're standing there in the light of the cross, looking at our Savior, we look around, we realize we're not alone. We realize that we're now part of a family, a community around this cross, a community that lives in this light. But we have brothers and sisters that God has given as gifts to us to help us keep walking in the light. That's why the author of Hebrews exhorts the church this way. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, we gotta, we gotta consider how we can stir up one another. Like, I need you here. That day is drawing near. And he's saying, if that day is drawing near and you want that day to go well, here's my piece of advice. Don't stop meeting with other Christians. And get into each other's lives and encourage one another towards good things. Towards good works and faith and love. We need one another for that day to go well. Church membership basically says, hey, I want that day to go well for me. I want it to go well for you. So I'm asking you come into my life. Hold me accountable. Care for me. I want to come into your life. Let's do this Christian thing together. Fourth, and now here's where I'm really, I might even just have to skip this. Church membership is announcement before the world. Church membership is announcement before the world. So it is not only affirmation from the elders, assurance for the individual, um, accountability to the church. Now it's announcement before the world. Here's my question for you. Who in this church is representing Christ to the nations? I mean, it's a legitimate question. Who, who in this church represents Christ to the world? Anyone who walks through the doors? Ho- hopefully you would say no, because we want to be a church that has an open door policy. Like you read about in 1 Corinthians 14 and things like unbelievers come in and they're going, whoa, to be in our midst has this, this convicting, compelling effect on them. We want, we want unbelievers, atheists, uh, secular humanists, backsliders, apostates into this, into this fellowship. We want them in this building. But we don't want the world out there looking to, to them and thinking, well, they go to that church. So that must be what Jesus is like. So how do you kind of distinguish as you're announcing to the world, we are a church that exists like a city on a hill for the world to see. How do you help distinguish who the world can look to to see what Jesus is like? If you kind of have a mixed, blended body in your Sunday gatherings. I think that's where church membership comes in. I think that's where it's very helpful. Because church membership helps us draw clearer lines around those whom we as a church know are walking with Christ and those whom we we either don't know either way, we're not sure, or or we know actually they're not, that that, that they're not there. And, And so there's not this confusion when the world looks in. Now, that connects me to um, the fifth aspect, which is church membership is ardor for God's name. Ardor, it just means passion. It's passion for God's name. Underlying all of this whole church membership stuff is a passion for God's name. Because, I wonder if you know this, when we're baptized, you know how you're baptized? How are you baptized? You're baptized in or into, is the literal translation in the Greek, into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He puts his name upon his people. He puts his name on us. And so, let me ask you something. In a world of, like ours, or in a country like ours, I just looked this up, the latest statistics, 70% in America, 70% in America say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. 
I mean, I'm certainly not a Hindu. I, I go to church on, what did J- Jason imagine? I'm a Christer. I go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian. I cross on my wall. Okay, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something. When people take the name of God upon them like that, and yet they don't know him and they don't represent him, what happens to the name of God? I'll tell you what happens. It's, it's blasphemy. It's, it's, it's tarnished. It's defamed. And so church membership is just simply a way that our church can try to pull back at that statistic a little bit and say, wait a minute, not everybody who professes to be Christians or evangelicals or whatever is in fact that way. And we, we want to defend our, our father's name so that the news would stop saying, well, that guy says he's a Christian and that guy. So we, you know, at least in our midst, we have an understanding and in our community, we know, hey, look, To put his name upon you is such a serious thing. Here are the people in our fellowship that we could say, his name is on them. Look to them, nations. Look to them, world. I'll leave it there. I want to end by asking a final question. Why covenant membership? Why covenant membership? Membership. I've been talking about church membership this whole time. Church membership is. Church membership is. But if you look on your binders, front title page, covenant membership is what I'm calling this. Why? Why covenant membership? It's. Um, I kind of went back and forth on this, you guys. I wasn't sure uh, if, if I liked the word or not. And the interesting thing is, the reason why I initially didn't like it and was hesitant is now the reason why I love it. Let me tell you what I mean. When I was first wrestling with the concept, uh, I heard the word covenant and I thought, oh, no, no, no. That is, that sounds legalistic. That sounds too strong. That sounds too serious. It sounds like, it sounds like you're like walking up the aisle and marrying this church. <laughs> it sounds like you're joining a cult like till death do you part. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we can't get out. And so I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that language. But, but then as I began pastoring here with you for over a year now, I begin to see how critical that language actually is, you guys. It's the whole reason why I feel called to take us through this now is because I start seeing, wow, if we don't covenant together, I mean, we're just going to splinter off. We're going to get in conflict with each other. Like, we're going to hurt each other. You realize that? We're, we're, we're going to let each other down. The church isn't going to meet all of our needs. Like, like the, the, the music sometimes will be off key. The preaching always will be too long. <laughs> it's not always going to meet our needs. So what do you do at that point? What do you do? You just leave? We're just consumer Christians? Is that what we are? No, we're covenantal Christians. We press in. We press into this community that God has brought us into. And we say, wait a minute. There is a depth of relationship and glory that can only be seen on the other side of covenant. Have you, anyone who got married can say amen to that? When I was on, on the edge of marriage, I'll be honest with you. I said, I don't know. This is too scary. Is, I, you know, and I was, I was analyzing. What about this? And what about that? And I don't know if that about her and that about her. And this isn't right. And then you just get in. And you get in the mess. And marriage is hard. And you know what? Seven years later, I was about to say, I almost forgot how long I'm. That's going to be another conflict later. I'm just kidding. Seven years later, I look and I go, wow, what wisdom. What wisdom in God that, that, that he would have us covenant, stick together, because I would have bailed and I would have missed out on how much she compliments me and how much I've been rounded out and all these edges that I thought, you know, I, I thought at first were the, like this, these liabilities. Now they're assets to me. There's this depth, this growth that happens on the other side of covenant that, quite honestly, this, this world, this culture knows nothing about. And as a church, I want us to be covenantal with one another because I want us to experience that together. I wrote a little anecdote there about our garden. You'll have to read it on your own time. Second reason. There's another reason I want to stick with covenant membership. Not just because it's a strong word. Because it's a biblical word. This is huge, you guys. This is huge. Hear me as we close. 
I wonder if you realize that when God brings people into covenant with himself, he always brings them into covenant with one another. What if you realize this? The clearest way I can show you is actually what we're going to do uh, in a few moments with, with the Lord's Supper, with communion. I want to take you there for a moment within, in Jesus' life, where he's at, he, he initiates the, the Lord's Supper. He's, he's sitting down around the table with his, with his bros, and, and he's going to celebrate the Passover with them one, one last time. The shadow of the cross is over him, and death has his ankles, and he knows what's coming, man. He knows Judas is going to betray him. He knows the disciples are going to abandon him. He knows he's going to be left alone by these guys that he walked with for three years and gave his life for, literally. He knows that. So what does he do? Start closing his heart off to these guys? You guys are just going to leave me? I'm over you already. Me and my father got this. Thank you. No. Here's what he does around that table. He takes the bread, he takes the cup, and he presses in to these people. He says, you know what? <laughs> Let me read it. He establishes covenant with them. Luke twenty-two twenty. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He leans in, he presses in to a, a people that are just going to hurt him, just going to let him down, and he says... I'm going to covenant with you right now. This is how committed I am to you. This bread, it's like my body broken. This cup, it's, it's, full of, it's like it's full of my blood that's going to be shed for your sins. He's saying, I am with you through death. I'll be with you to the end. You thought sin could separate you from me? Not going to happen. Think again. But here's the amazing thing, you guys. Here's what's so awesome. As the disciples are participating in this meal and thanks, what we start to see is that this covenant Christ makes with them actually sets up their covenant with one another. Because it's it's around this table. That's why this happens around a table. And there are others around the table. And it's like the disciples are zeroed in on Jesus, and then suddenly they look around and they go, Oh, wait a minute, there's others here with us. Like, we are in this thing with Christ together. He's not just doing it, him and I, in a closet, although he does care about me individually. But when he, when he covenants himself to me individually, he also brings me into covenant with a people. Now, this is why Paul, and I opened with this text, this is where we'll end. Paul later spells um, out this kind of reality for the local church in Corinth. He says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, here's the statement I want you to hear. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one Bread. Here is the idea. I wonder if you saw it. He takes the elements that Christ used as the sign of the covenant with us, of his covenant with us, and Paul actually uses those now as signs of the covenant we have with one another. He says, that bread broken, that bread broken where Jesus was torn open, guess what? That's how we actually become one. And so as we partake of the scattered pieces of the loaf, of the one loaf, we actually are being brought back together into his body. We come into a union, a covenantal relationship with one another. He gave his life on the cross so that he might not only call us into covenant with himself, but into covenant with one another. Here's, here's what I want you to leave you with. If Jesus did not hold back even unto death, he's around this table. He's saying, this, these elements symbolize my death for you. That's how deep this covenant goes. If that's what Jesus is doing with us, and those elements symbolize our covenant then with one another as we partake of it, man, are we not also called to stick with one another, press into one another, give our lives for his local church and the people that he has brought into our life through it. Let's pray. God.
thank you. Thank you that you care about us so intimately that you go after the one sheep. You care about the one. But guess what? What do you do with the one when you found them? You bring them back into the fold. You go after the one, you love the one, you woo the one, you, 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 you die for the one, but then you bring them into community. I thank you, Jesus, that we're not alone in the Christian life. It is a gift that we might feel like it's a nuisance or an obstacle or something that's in our way. God, you give it to us as a gift. You give us one another as a gift. Thank you, God, that when you were torn apart, when the one became many pieces of broken flesh, through that, you took many scattered, fragmented, broken people, and you're putting them back together as your people, as one. It's in your name we pray. Amen.